Father, as we open your word this morning, we ask you to speak to us. Transform us. Let us be more like Christ. Let the reality of the kingdom of God become our everyday experience as we go through life, seeking the kingdom first. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. November 13th was National Kindness Day. There's an organization, a nonprofit called Kindness, that supports this, promotes it, but also, I discovered, they do research on kindness. And this is out of their website. We utilize an interdisciplinary mix of research, including genetics, neuroscience, psychology, economics, and anthropology, to answer questions like, what are the costs and benefits of being kind? What kind acts are the most impactful? How does kindness contribute to a happy and fulfilling life? And they have a very simple goal, to educate and inspire people to choose kindness, because the organization believes it can change the world. Now, as people have participated and they have sent stories into the websites, one of them, very simple, there was somebody at a company and an unfair thing happened to them and they went on a rant on social media. And they were just going off on this company and all these things. There were some other people from the company who saw it and agreed and they're like going off on it too. There's all these comments, and one person saw the whole thing and wrote this simple message. I am so sorry you are struggling. That is really tough and unfair, and left it at that. But it stopped some of the comments. Like there were a bunch coming in, and this stopped them. How do we respond to negative things in our lives? And by that, I mean specifically things where we feel attacked, where something feels unjust, um, where we feel like maybe somebody's taking advantage of us, um, where we feel like people are not being kind, they're being mean. How do we respond to those things? Kindness is good. I like this organization. It's kind of fun. Their website's pretty neat. But I want to tell you this morning, Jesus has a bigger call for us as believers, a response to when we are attacked, abused, treated unfairly, unjustly. There's a response he's looking for. If you would, open up your Bible to Luke 21, where our gospel reading was, if you have your Bible with you. Now, we read the intro where they ask him, they're looking at this beautiful temple. They're like, wow, look at this. And Jesus says, I wouldn't look too closely or be too impressed because this whole thing's going to crumble. But he goes on, and it's this next part that I want to focus on this morning. Verse 10, then he said, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great 
earthquakes, and in various places, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Right, this is one thing you can say about Scripture. It is very realistic. It does not sugarcoat life. Here is Jesus saying, all right, yes, the end is coming. I've already talked about the temple crumbling. The end is coming. And when it comes, there's a lot of stuff that's going to come with it. Really huge, big things. However, before that ever happens, there's a bunch of bad stuff that's going to take place. Right? This is what you can expect. You are going to face some type of persecution. Some are going to be handed over either to religious authorities or to secular authorities, synagogue, prisons. But there's going to be persecution. There's going to be unfair treatment. There's going to be people who are mean to you. And you are going to feel sometimes like you are being attacked. You are being unfairly treated. What do we do? Now, I know what my primary response is to situations like that. See if any of you relate to this. How can I get you back? How can I get out of this? How can I fix that and, and show you that you're wrong? I mean, that, that's, that's my innate, normal, regular response to something like this. How do we respond to those situations? Let me ask you right now, is there anything you're going through in your life that feels unfair? Anything you're going through right now that you feel like you don't have much control, you feel attacked, you feel taken advantage of, you feel abused. How do we respond to that? So November 13th is, was National Kindness Day. It was also National Cardigan Sweater Day. And that particular day was in honor of, anybody? Mr. Rogers. Yes. So that kind of fits, right? Mr. Rogers' kindness, they kind of go together. So on National Cardigan slash Kindness Day, um, Joanne Rogers, Fred Rogers' wife, went to a hospital in Pittsburgh. And she went there to express kindness and to serve. And to, but as she came in, there were over a hundred nurses, workers, doctors, all lined up. And there's a picture of this. It's like a balcony, so it's multiple stories. She walks in, and they start singing, Won't You Be My Neighbor, for her. Well, she was going to see some of the, the babies who were born on National Kindness Day. There were six of them in the hospital. They were all wearing Cardigans. <laughs> Hand-knitted cardigans by somebody in the hospital who put them all together, and all these little babies were in cardigans with little ties on them. <laughs> Very
very sweet, very cute. She tells this story that um, uh, Fred, when he used to button his cardigan, because he had to be looking and wasn't paying attention, he would get off. And by the time he got to the bottom, one of the buttons would be off. And so he went to zippered cardigans <laughs> for the show. They're all zippered. And, and his mom, for Christmas time, would make Christmas sweaters for all of the siblings. His would be special because it would have a zipper. All the other ones would be buttons. He died 15 years ago. She has had to go on without him and knowing that she is closer and closer to her own end. She's 90 now. She's closer and closer to her end. A month, a year, 10 years, but it's coming. Um, what does she do between then and the end? How does she use that time? What does she make of her life, of what's left of that life? And here's what she's been doing. One, she's been playing a lot of classical music. Um, she's a pianist. She's been playing all classical music, but she's been doing this. She has been continuing to run the various, or as she can, the nonprofits and things that was part of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Did you know that he had a special place for really sick people? And he had individual relationships. He would go to hospitals, and there's one lady who would call him once a month. When he died, she started calling Joanne, and she takes the calls. She has been using her life to try to make other lives better between when he died and when she would die, whatever that time frame is. What do we do with ours? I want to combine the two questions. You have between right now and this moment and when you breathe your last breath. And during that time, there are two questions. One is, what will you do with it? But you have to ask that question within the first question, knowing that you are going to have unfair things done to you. Knowing that you are going to have some kind of persecution. Knowing that you are going to be taken advantage of. What do you do with that? How do you respond? And here's what Jesus says. And this is not what I think of. Right? I mean, and especially if, if I ever got like, I don't know, somehow I'm arrested for something I didn't do and I was serving Jesus and I got brought before the courts and I think I would just be freaking out like, please, Jesus, help me. I mean, make this thing go away. Anybody else? What would you be doing? And I'm thrown into prison. Like, oh my goodness, how did this even happen? Let me out of here. I got to call a lawyer. Here's what Jesus says. Verse 13. This will be your opportunity. Just hear that. This is an opportunity. This isn't like a commandment. This isn't like you should do this. This isn't guilt. This is like you have an opportunity when you are being treated like crud. You have an opportunity when unjust things are happening to you. Here's your opportunity to bear witness. 
your opportunity is to bear witness to Jesus. To take a moment where things are really bad happening to you and witness to Jesus. Anybody have that as your first thought? Don't raise your hand because you'll embarrass the rest of us. But just think about that. This is the message for this morning, is to recognize that in this fallen world, a lot of bad things are going to happen, and you'll be on the receiving end of some of them. And sometimes those bad things will actually be unfair things happening to you, where you have every right to stand up and defend yourself, where you have every right to get revenge. And Jesus says, the first thing I want you to be thinking is, you have from this moment until the end of your life, you have from this moment until I return, maybe that'll come sooner, and you have an opportunity. And the opportunity is to bear witness to me. That as people of the kingdom, our main thing is seeking the kingdom first. Because that's what's coming. The fullness of the kingdom of God. But we have an opportunity right now to go, I do not like what just happened to me. That was so wrong. But I'm going to find a way to bear witness to Jesus in that opportunity. Maybe I'm the one being attacked online. And instead of defending myself, or instead of making excuses or justifying or attacking back, I'm going to find a way to bear witness to Jesus. I've got a neighbor. I mean, I just had this. You guys heard my HOA story. Some of you did. We were thoroughly abused by the HOA. It was ridiculous. It was months. My kids couldn't play in a playground. We're getting nasty letters. We're being threatened. I mean, it was terrible. That was an opportunity that I did not use. But that was an opportunity. <laughs> an opportunity to bear witness to Jesus. If only I had studied this beforehand. To bear witness to Jesus. We have opportunities to take our bad situations and be witnesses for Jesus in those situations. On February 3rd, 1943, there was a ship called the Dorchester. And that ship had 900 military personnel on it. There was a U-boat that fired torpedoes at that ship. One of them hit beneath the surface of the water, and that ship was going down. That ship was not meant to hold 900 people. They had enough life jackets and life boats to save just under 300 people. So you can imagine the chaos. You have got young men in the military on a sinking ship in the middle of the night, knowing two-thirds of them will die. You can imagine the chaos. There were four chaplains on that ship. Those four chaplains spent the time between when they realized they were hit and the ship was going down until the ship went down. Those four chaplains spent time organizing people and getting them onto lifeboats, getting life vests to people 
giving up their own life vests and going down with that ship. What do you do with your opportunities? What do you do in the chaos, the unjustness? What do you do with your opportunity? Because the call in our life is to bear witness as each one of these chaplains for Jesus gave in the midst of this in order to save others. And that is exactly what you do. Hey, when you think of that, even something so simple, you know, I'm just going to go back to my HOA thing. The opportunity I had was an opportunity for the kingdom to say something, to do something that shared Jesus, the love of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the character of Jesus, an opportunity that was kingdom and eternity focused. Guess what? It may have done nothing for me. That's part of the reason I wasn't even thinking about it, right? I'm just trying to figure out how do I get my playground? How do I not get, you know, fined by the HOA? I mean, that's all I'm trying to figure out. How do I do with all this wood that I bought? But there's something so much bigger. Eternity. The kingdom of God. And we have an opportunity. What do we do with it? Now, I'm going to share with you the two crazy things. Okay, Jesus wants us to take the opportunity and to witness to him. Here's the first crazy thing, because Jesus is a little crazy. This is what he says. Verse 14, settle it therefore in your minds, not, and if you like write in your Bible or something, just circle that word, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Hey, so this is what he says. I want you to be ready. I want you to think. Hey, when I am being treated unfairly, when I'm being persecuted, when people are saying false things about me, when I'm not getting the promotion that I should get and somebody else is, that is an opportunity to witness for Jesus, but I don't want you to meditate beforehand how you're going to do that. How many of you going into any conversation that you have that's going to be difficult at all, run it over in your mind about a thousand times before you have the conversation? How many of you, before you're getting ready to do something and you know whatever it is you're getting ready to do, it's going to have some big ramifications, you don't run the scenarios over in your mind a thousand times as you, before you do them, while you're doing, and then what? After you do them to wonder if it was all right. And here's Jesus saying, I actually want you not to try to figure it all out. So as I walked to the HOA meeting that I had to go to, the idea behind this would be, instead of going, all right, so if I say this, I could say this, maybe I could talk about this, maybe I could think about this, maybe I could do this, maybe I could tell him this, maybe I no. I'm supposed to be going to that meeting going, all right, Lord, you lead. I'm just gonna trust you. I'm not sure even what to say to them to witness to you. And Jesus is going, that's okay. You don't need to know what to say. I need you to trust me. And then I need you to speak and let the Holy Spirit work. I don't need you to try to figure all this out. I need you to trust me. 
I need you as you get ready. So let's just say it's happening on social media and you think, you know what, I'm gonna witness to Jesus. Well, instead of doing this, type, 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 no, that's not right, backspace. Type, type, no, that's not right, backspace. Somebody think about this for a while. No, I want you to pray. I want you to go, Jesus, I want to represent you. I want to witness to you. And instead of trying to figure all this out, I want to trust you. Now you lead. And I'm going to trust. Back in the late 1980s, early 1990s, there's a, a blind clergyman in Zurich. His name is George Spielman. And he would have people over to his home and when he would serve dinner, he would blindfold them all so they could get some experience of what his experience was like. So you come to this blind priest's home and then put a blindfold on and you eat. Anybody ever eaten blindfolded? What the guests experienced not only the awkwardness, the weirdness of like not being in control, of like reaching out and like, where's my fork? Where's the, oh, those aren't the mashed potatoes. That was something else. You know, you don't know what you're doing here. But they said there was a heightened sense of taste. Like when you weren't paying attention to everything else, there was something about like that particular sense that was heightened. And, and you know what this led to dark restaurants. He was the first one to do one. If you've not heard of him, I mean, there's not tons of them, but dark restaurants where you go in and everything is pitch black. They often hire blind servers to work there. But the experience is meant where you have to trust something else. In fact, in these restaurants, when you have to go to the bathroom, you've got to get somebody to take you to the bathroom because they don't turn lights on for you to go find it. There are lights in the bathroom but not when you go, <laughs> that would be really bad. But it heightens it because you have to trust different senses. Jesus is saying, I need you to trust the spirit in this. I need you to basically, in a sense, close your eyes and let me lead your witness. Because if you do it, I know what's gonna happen. You're gonna stress yourself out like crazy as you try to figure out, how am I gonna do this? What am I gonna say? What am I not gonna say? What am I gonna type? How am I gonna do this? Trust me. Pray first and let me lead you into witnessing for me. That's the first thing. Number two, verse 16, you'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you they will put to death. Ow. That's, that's really awful. I'm 17. You'll be hated by all for my namesake. All right, let's just taste the, take the worst possible scenario. It could get really, really bad and really, really ugly, even to the point where the people you love the most turn on you. Now, for most of us, that's probably not going to happen. The worst kinds of things we're going to get are fights with our HOA, somebody at, at a job slanders us, we're not probably going to get most of this, but he says it could go that far. But, verse 18, not a hair of your head will perish. That's kind of odd since some of them are dying. Um, I guess their hair is going to still look good. Even 
Sorry, that's terrible. Um, Verse 19, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. This is the eternal perspective. What he says is no matter how bad it might get, no matter the way you might be treated, no matter what you might lose in this life, by faith, can you understand that the eternity we have to come, this will pale in comparison. And I will tell you this, most of us, if not all of us, have experienced this. I have watched the Lord protect me when I have turned to him. Now, I may have had to go through a season that was the valley of the shadow of death. Like, it was really awful, and I wondered where God was. And yet, even at points within walking through the valley of the shadow of death, as I was crying out to him, there would be these moments, he's there. He's there. And at some point, I come out on the other side and going, God was with me. We were just having this conversation in a group. We were talking about the fact that as God works in your life and you look back and you see how he worked, it gets easier as the things get harder and you get older because you recognize God worked here, he's gonna work here. God worked there, he's gonna work here. And I've heard that a lot. And I said to my friend and to this group, I am not sure that's actually true. Theoretically, that should be true. Theoretically, that makes perfect sense, right? All right, a bad thing happened when I was 20 and God worked. A bad thing happened when I was 22 and God worked. And 23 and 24 and 28 and 30 and 35 and God kept working. So now that I am 45, I just trust him. Like I've just seen all the things he's done, I'm just trusting him. Sadly, that is not my experience. Somehow, when the bad thing starts happening, I feel almost like an infant again. Oh, God, where are you? Why aren't you fixing this? God, please fix this. But I think there's actually something to that. Because we need to be crying out to God through everything we're going through and watching him work. Crying out to our Father. And it doesn't mean we don't look back, because that is important. But if you, like me, kind of feel like I'm a really slow learner because God's worked a lot in my life and yet I still struggle to trust him at times, I think you're okay. I think you're with the majority of us. But when we do and when we cry out and when we keep praying, we see him work. And all of that is to say, not a hair on your head will be harmed you will likely see his work today in this life and you will absolutely see it in eternity. So, when we have the moments in our lives where we are attacked or persecuted or treated unfairly or unjustly and what we want to do is attack, defend, justify something, Jesus is saying you have an opportunity You have an opportunity to witness. And that, God protects us in. And that, God says, for eternity, that makes an actual difference. In fact, you might be the voice that plants a seed. You might be the voice that God actually uses 
to bring somebody to Christ. When is the last time, not in persecution, but at any point, you shared your faith with somebody else? That's not meant to make you feel guilty. That's meant to encourage us. We have eternity. We have a God who walks with us. We have opportunities to share Jesus. Will we do that? As four chaplains received purple hearts for their sacrifice, but they also then received medals of honor, medals of honor for what they did, for the way that they gave their life vests to others, for the ways that they helped others get on these boats and gave up their own life. And, and here's what I think. I think those awards were likely very meaningful to the families in recognition of the sacrifice that at least our country saw that these men were willing to give in the midst of all the chaos and everything, they were willing to give for others. Those medals don't mean a whole lot to the chaplains, though. They can't take them with them. You know what they were doing? This is the last thing that was said, the last scene as the boats were going away. The description was this. The four chaplains were standing together, praying, serving God to the very end. The medals won't mean much to them, but you know what they're going to get? Well done, good and faithful servant. Those are medals that count. And all they take is serving others. Being a witness to Jesus by giving a cup of water, giving a kind message, sacrificing something that would benefit another and show them in some way the reality of Jesus. And the Father says, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways that you teach and inspire and encourage us to live kingdom first. My prayer this morning is that each one of us would think not so much about the particulars of what it means to witness, but that we would begin to look for those opportunities, those opportunities that our Lord says are there to take bad things or even good things and use them to share about Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.